Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is, uh, well, a well-noted screen actor, longtime actor, John Cryer, to talk to us a little bit about the uh, strike going on in the world of Hollywood, and for all the wonderful DC uh, political people, it's true, DC is Hollywood for ugly people. But so we have the beautiful people on today, so before we get back, we'll talk to John Cryer about the strike in Hollywood. Stick around, we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me today is John Cryer. John, I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, well, it's my pleasure. Uh, and I have to say, if if, if I'm uh, whoa, if, you're, if I'm one of the beautiful people you're interviewing, <laughs> you, may have to, you may have to up uh, your your uh, standards <laughs> just, somewhat. I'll just imagine <laughs> how ugly we are in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> so... John, you've been an actor for for many many years, and um, I, I was talking to someone in the White House today. I told you before we started who, who remembered you from Pretty in Pink. So you've been in major motion pictures. You were uh, for what was it, twelve years, ten years on uh, Two and a Half Men. Uh, that was twelve years, yeah, yeah, twelve years. And um, you've been at a variety of of, of well received and well known uh, screen uh, uh, movies, and you know, uh, small screen. So this. What I wanted to ask you about was the strike going on in Hollywood. There are those who say, look, it's not necessary. These 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 people make thousands and billions of dollars and they shouldn't be striking. And I saw you you had a tweet. You were out on uh, with uh, someone who was actually in Two and a Half Men, right? Who played Candy. Yes, April Bowlby, who's the, yeah. one, of, one of the more popular characters on the show. Yeah. And so tell me why. What's What's important about this that people don't understand and are missing? Well, uh, the 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 media business has never been stable. I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> we, we look, if you look back in the day, you know, there was talkies and there was color and there was, you know, there's always something that is, uh, uh, you know, making the, you know, causing some sort of earthquake in the business. It was VCRs. It was, you know, it was it was the Fox network when the, you know, back during the three network uh, uh, era uh, and. You know, there's, there's, you know, there are very often seismic changes in the business, and I believe we are on the, you know, we are in the middle of one right now. And part of it is because Silicon Valley, the, the culture of Silicon Valley, and uh, and the way of doing business of Silicon Valley has come to the media uh, uh, corporations. Um, you know, Netflix was a a, 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 a shock to the um to the industry and you know you know it, silicon valley operates in a very different business model you know they they uh they op- they operate on the venture capital model where right. they just get they, you know they they you know businesses you know software companies can run for years without making a profit because they're just pumping enormous amounts of venture capital and i mean tesla is a, a great example of that you know tesla just went on and on for years just getting successive rounds of venture capital um whereas the media business in in the United States was a a very you know robust and mature business that made a profit. Um, but what happened was introducing this Silicon Valley model 
in caused all these uh, sort of legacy Hollywood corporations to try and mimic the Silicon Valley model. So you have this huge buyout of Warner Brothers that was basically a leveraged buyout and saddled what was a, a very profitable business with, you know, tens of billions of dollars of debt. Uh, um, you know, meanwhile, Netflix is pouring money into programming. So all the other streamers have to equal that if they're going to compete. You know, they've also trained audiences to expect that level of convenience, the streaming level of convenience. So so we're in a, a we're in a, one of those periods where, you know, the, the business is 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 undergoing just a huge shift. And what's happening is the corporations don't want to make the changes necessary for actors to still be able to make a living in that business. I mean, the, you know, there's people like me who've been lucky enough to not need the union minimums for, for a while, you know, just because, you know, we've gotten lucky enough in the business that, 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 uh, you know, we have a level of, of, uh, uh, of fame and recognition that allows uh, us to get cast in things that, you know, at, at, a, at a higher salary level. But what happens, what's happening now is because uh, everything's going over to streaming and that's a much lower pay level for yeah. most, for most uh, actors, we lose um, the 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 people who could actually make a living uh, at this business. It, it becomes a hobby for the for it was already sort of a hobby for you know a large number of, of the members of, of Screen Actors Guild, um, and that was okay. You know they have second gigs. That's that's how they expect to live their lives. But but this latest these latest changes are going to decimate the working uh, uh, percentage of the, who are who who are, are, are actually making a living doing right. acting. And, that, and the problem with that is once that's hollowed out, your industry collapses. Uh, so literally, that's why SAG is, 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 is pushing so hard in this. That's why the writers are pushing so hard in this, because their, uh, their demands are very similar. Because it, once you lose an active working core who make their living doing this, once you lose that, once the, they all become hobbyists for all intents and purposes, uh, your, your industry goes away um because there just isn't a support there there's there's not and the quality would suffer too i would imagine yeah quite a bit. well yeah because there's no way to there's no way to train them like recently uh the when the writers first went out they were striking over a thing called mini rooms which was a way for shows to have much smaller groups of writers writing shows um because now that streamers generally order less episodes um a lot of the time you don't need you know just the heavy lifting of making 22 episodes a season, which was what the old network model now gets down to, you know, we're making 10, you know, or eight. Yeah, uh, eight, six, eight, 10. It's a much different proposition. So uh, what happens is, uh, you know, the producers say, well, I don't want to pay for a whole writer's room. But then what happens is you don't have enough people training as writers. You know, you just have the one or two writers that are writing the eight episodes. And then there's no way to train upcoming people. And again, your industry gets hollowed out and, and they're, you know, they're, then it, it collapses. And that's what everybody's trying to forestall right now. And there's two things that sound so familiar to my uh, industry is that the hollowing out, the consolidation part of it, the cheapening of it. I mean, I have reported, there are reporters that work in the White House who've never had any job other, they, they went to school, went to the White House, have no clue what they're doing. They haven't been trained, don't know. And they're thrown into the and because there are so few outlets anymore, you know, six companies own 95% of what you see, read, or hear, you don't really get that, that you know, like the training of the writers, you don't get the training of the reporters. But And more importantly, the CEOs, I think there was a statistic out of, Robert Reich may have put it out, like the average CEO is uh, in, in your business has increased his salary 3,000 some odd percent the last uh, 10 years, while the writers and the actors have only seen an eight percent increase so that's got to be in look you've been on set you know all right you, you're cast you're one of the leads or, or a second lead or or a featured character but a major character in the production the people who have one or two lines the the featured walk you know the, the those people are not able to make a living based on what they make on their day or two on the set yes Yes, and and it's even scarier because it, it, the last two years, SAG has, in order to maintain the um, the pension and our health funds, has had to increase the amount of money that the, the minimums that people have to make to to qualify for health insurance. So 
what happens is, you know, if you're getting, you know, two or three tiny gigs a year uh, and you can't maintain your health insurance anymore uh, and it's, it, you know, and it all collapses from there. You know, uh, I mean, there was a whole, you know, the, the to their credit, the studios did offer small concessions in terms of upping some residuals, upping some amount of pension and health. And, you know, that that, you know, they always do. That's that's expected in their negotiations. Um, unfortunately, though, they're not keeping up with inflation and they're not in any way dealing with the seismic changes in the industry. And that's what SAG is really begging them to do right now. Well, and the I, I guess AI and, and CGI are also issues in that regard, AI and the writing. And, you know, we saw the latest Indiana Jones where they de-aged Indy. And mm-hmm. it was one point in time, where do you have, where is it where there'll be no need for an actor? You'll just have... A, a complete CGI character, an AI writer, and there's no people in the telling of people's stories. Yes, and, and that and that's the scary thing. Admittedly, we're a ways away from that, you know. I mean, but but yes, it it, it is. It's very scary. Uh, and I, you know, interestingly, I hope that what uh, a similar thing that that has happened in the music industry to some extent was that once recorded music became free and ubiquitous, basically. Um, live performances became a premium. Uh, it, it became more exciting to see human beings perform uh, than to just listen to re- recorded music from them. Um, and and so I'm hoping that that that, that remains a, a valuable thing. Obviously, because it's my my job. Uh, um, <laughs> what you you want to be able to make a living? How dare you? I, I, I like it. I like it. Um, but but also for but but less so for me because I've been lucky. I, I hit the lottery. I, I uh, you know, I did a broadcast television show that was a huge worldwide hit and got then because of, you know, the position I was in was able to, you know, make a make a, a life changing amount of money, which is amazing. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. Um, but, you know, you know, I am an infinitesimally small part of the union. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can't I. I, I'd love to think I could keep this industry afloat just by myself, Brian, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we need a whole lot of other people as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at any rate, um, uh, you know, I I, uh, I have to figure for you guys as well that it's got, you know, that so, so the, the AI stuff is so frightening in terms of what it can generate and that it doesn't uh, apply any actual human faculties to that information that it generates, you know? Um, yes. Well, in, in my business, the bigger problem is uh, lack of uh, <laughs> lack of experience, lack of knowledge. Institutional knowledge is a big, we've had a big loss in journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are twice the number of people on this planet is on the day that I was born and a quarter of the number of reporters. And those reporters, it, that's the frightening part. And so, even understanding the issues, particularly this one, we don't even understand union issues anymore or labor issues or disputes because we just don't have the experience. Um, we're hired fresh out of school with no experience and then booted out after five years because someone cheaper can come in and take your spot. And <clears throat> with only five or six companies that um, own most of what you see, read, or hear, and by the way, they're the same five companies or six companies that own most of the stuff that you your industry produces, all right, yeah, you could see what the problem is, and it's an uh, it, yes, there's similar problems in my industry and yours, and it um, it's frightening to me on on man on a, on a whole lot of levels. You know, I I, I walked into the uh, Brady briefing room yesterday, and there was a family that was walking by the Eisenhower office building, and 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 there's a that teenager who sat there and said, who was, who was Eisenhower? And I, you know, I, if that's what we have to look forward to, I'm really worried. The day I walked into that briefing room was during the Reagan administration. The first day in there, the first person I met was Helen Thomas. The second person I met was Sam Donaldson. And he was one of my mentors. And Sam said, Brian, look at the first row in the Brady briefing room. He said, of those seven people there, there's probably 200 years of experience learned from all of it. And then he, mm-hmm. turned, he looked, he said, of course, Helen has 190 of it. 
And she said, <laughs> she said something smart to him. And he said, hey, Helen, it's okay to have an unexpressed thought. And Helen said, Sam, when it comes to you, I have a lot of unexpressed thoughts. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was going to do for the rest of my life, but that day was golden. <laughs> <Let's>, yeah. <laughs> you don't have that anymore. I had to, I had a reporter, but this person uh, walked up to me and said, uh, hey, can I go upstairs and talk to the press people? Go, you, you have a press pass. Of course you can. You walk up into the office, ask whatever you want. Well, are they going to get upset? Well, who cares? That's, you know, that's, it's your job. That's, and I go, Oh, and I said, so are, are you an intern? And they said, no, I, I'm a senior producer. And I go, how old are you? And this person said 24. I said, well, how old's the junior producer? 12. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what the fuck? <laughs> so I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I I think sometimes it, in in your uh, industry, what I notice is that that the same type of management means, and maybe if you're a fan, you know, a real fan, you don't see it. But what I see is a, is a devaluing of 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 what it is that you do. You know, like mm -hmm. TikTok videos take over, and so you know, there's no big screen stars anymore. It's all on this, and yeah, and it's cheap. Yeah. The, that that is even the bigger issue is that is there you know you know if if our industry changes you know what does it change into uh uh you know and that's that's of course scary you want to embrace change you don't want to be the buddy duddy saying well back in my day yeah. you kids get off my lawn exactly you don't want to be that person um but at the same time uh, you know, you don't want to lose a, a, a an art form. You know that that cinema is is becoming. Uh, you know, it, it's taking the trajectory that opera took. You know, where it be, has to become this huge spectacle, this huge expensive spectacle for people to go see it. You know, uh, whereas you know, you know, when opera started out, it was just entertainment for the masses. You know, right. um, so uh, uh, it's not unheard of in the entertainment business. Um, but you know, I, I I would be sad if that's the way that it. Goes. How much did COVID um, have to do with that? Do you think? Um, you know, COVID. COVID ha was a, a, another earthquake for the for the industry, and that's another thing interesting that that actors have had to take. Um, it used to be you used to go in person to auditions, uh, and that right. was a great a, a great way to meet with the people, both you know in person and, and get and understand who they are as people, but also understand who they are as artists and. Uh, and interact with that, and and you what know, and <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 I used to love going to auditions I didn't get because I still established a rapport, I still established a relationship with that artist, and that was a great and valuable thing. Now you're expected to do a thing called self taping, which is where uh, you shoot the video at home at your own expense. Uh, you read your lines with somebody. You just got to get somebody to read your lines with you. You know. You also have no input from the casting director or director in terms of your performance. Um, you just got to hope that your swing at it is close to what they want. Um, and then, uh, 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 you know, and, and in some ways, this is this is helpful to actors because we don't have to travel to places. That's nice. And we don't have to get dressed up and we don't have to, you know, we don't have to uh, uh, leave the house. But in many ways, it really diminishes the, 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 um, the, the way that the business happens. And um, and also, you know, actors have to have to, you know, have their own expenses. They have to they have to have lighting. They have to, you know, they have to get somebody to come over and read with them. They, you know. Well, um, my question about that, I hate to interrupt, but my question about that is, in reading, I mean, sometimes, and and I'm not, you know, totally ignorant of, of your world, but I mean, sometimes the director would say, "Well, give me a different take on that," or "Could you do it this way?" And, and you really don't, isn't the problem, you, you don't know what it is that they want. And like you said, you're, aren't you just guessing? <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely guessing. I mean, you know, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a weird shot in the dark. And if you're lucky, then you get a Zoom audition where you actually get to, you do get to interact with the director. But again, that's much, much rarer. Um, and and, and you're, inter you're interacting with an image of a person. Uh, you you know, it's much harder... It's very hard to be spontaneous because of the way, you know, if you've ever tried to make a joke over a Zoom conference and, and heard the delay. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's death for comedic timing. It's absolutely brutal. Oh, my God, yes. 
and so so it it so it right really, in the Brady briefing room. <laughs> <laughs> so so it has changed everybody's expectations, and and I am a as a producer and an actor, I try to have as many in person meetings as I can. Obviously, as safe as I can, um, you can have them outside. Uh, <laughs> right, but uh, uh, you know the the. You know, I, I still feel like the in-person interaction is uh, is incredibly important. Like uh, I was working on a show that I'm not allowed to uh, promote because I'm on strike. Uh, <laughs> but I was working on a show for a, for a network that will be unnamed. Uh, and we, we had the choice to, you know, we could do a Zoom writer's room or we could do an in-person writer's room. And, I, and, and because this was a, a, a comedy, we really felt like we had to do an in-person writers' room um, uh, because it's just it's it, it's just a very different vibe. But the nice thing is though that it has to make people rethink. It's like okay, we'll do three days a week in the office and then two days a week at home. You know, it, it allows us uh, some flexibility, which is which is good because you do you know there are there are days when you're breaking stories and then there's days when you're sending people off and they're just silently typing in their office. And those days, you know, they can they can be at home if they choose. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, I, I, I certainly think it's worth revisiting that stuff. Um, but it's been a, a, an enormous change uh, in the business. Um, although, interestingly, I was talking with the former head of Warner Brothers Television, a guy named Peter Roth, who's just a revered and lovely, a, a guy who's managed to uh, um, charm uh, <laughs> and he's managed to negotiate with people and still be friends with them, which uh, is, is well, really that's a rare ability. <laughs> that's yeah, uh, he's very old school, and he, 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 of course, when when uh, Discovery took over, he had to leave Warner Brothers, and you know, it's it's a you know a different thing. But anyway, we were talking about it, and we realized that the only time of, of any kind of real stability in the television and and media industry was the period between when Color TV came out, which was the three network period, um, through the introduction of either VCRs or the Fox Network. Those those were like the three. Those were like, it was like. So that was like 12 years of stability. That was it. <laughs> Virtually the rest of the time, uh, you know, things have just been rocking. That's the industry. That's pretty active. And for my industry, it's about to say the introduction of the, it was the third network, ABC. Mm -hmm. And from that time, and color was Bonanza. I remember when Bonanza was all in color. Yes, sure. Yeah, that was the first big one. And it was from there to uh, the introduction of cable. Uh, yeah. News. And CNN and the 24-hour cable. And I'd say that was about maybe maybe 15, 16 years. But it was the space shuttle when the Challenger blew up. Mm. And CNN went 24-7 wall-to-wall. It was the only one there. That mm -hmm. the cable news came into its own. And just, it was the biggest change in my industry since since television, you know, and radio. And mm. that was, so I, I think the, the timeline is very similar. Um, mm -hmm. but, and to your point, there's one thing that that I always tell people. It's it's like um, it's not just comic timing or comedic timing, but uh, which I do enjoy in the Brady briefing room from time to time. If you can slip a good joke in and and mm -hmm. people they don't expect it, I enjoy that. <laughs> so I try on occasion, but uh, <laughs> but it's the idea of being there, and it's the it's the interaction with other people. You know, you can see something like you and I are talking over Zoom right now, and we could see each other. But being in the same room, being able to see, uh, you know, the entirety of the room, everyone in the room, the reaction in the room, what's going on, who comes in out of the door. Uh, you don't see in Zoom the guy that, that's doing this with his watch going, hurry up, or the person up at the podium is in. It's it's much easier to read a room and, and see what's going on and being with other people. It's It's tremendous to me in a working environment. And then... As as a as a moviegoer, the first movie I went to and sat in a theater for in a long time was actually The Machine with uh, mm. Hamill and and uh, Burt Kreischer, and mm. uh, I had said that I really enjoyed it. And I don't write movie reviews. And Mark Hamill sent me a because uh, he follows me on Twitter. He said, "Hey Brian, you should you should write a a, a review of this." And I said, oh, all right, fine, I will. And here's what I thought. And I said, one of the things that I liked most about it was being, it's the shared laughter. It's mm -hmm. being able to be in a room with others and that laughter grows and you enjoy the experience as a human being. It's 
you know, not to mention that anybody eating edibles and, and tripping out is, you know, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. And, you know, I, well, hell, I was making jokes about the white powder found in the in the White House. And so, yeah. and I was like, you know, hey, it wasn't mine. <laughs> I, I sent Corrine Jean Pierre, I, I did send her an email said, Hey, Corrine, I left a small plastic baggie there last week. If you find it, can you return it to me? <laughs> keep it on the down low yeah <laughs> actually i'm the last guy that needs to have that you know you, you don't need to get me high i'm crazy enough as this so <laughs> but i get it i get what you're saying and i i worry about so when you guys are on strike it's for those reasons i get it i i understand exactly and and the monumental changes that you're going through right now i don't know i don't know if you can see the future of your business right now where it's going no i i can't uh, it was interesting i i, I did a uh I did. Uh, I played Lex Luthor on Supergirl for a while, and they had to digitize me repeatedly for uh, for special effects. And it is funny when you realize your your image has been totally digitized. You don't own it anymore, you know. And that's that's as it should be, you know. Your the the producers digitized you, so they get to own it for you know those particular episodes and whatever. Um, but it is it, it is disconcerting to know that I exist in a digital form that I've been scanned. Uh, and that if somebody were to, you know, an AI is getting marvelous at um, at at uh, artificially creating people's voices and having them speak sentences that sound believable. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, that it's getting better at that all the time. You know, that's terrifying that, that you know, if somebody just decided to do a puppet, John Cryer. Right. They, <laughs> well, that was an ugly child, too, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, like you know, I had a date like that once. You know, that's that, that would be scary. I, I, <laughs> I don't know where that goes. <laughs> yeah, and as a producer, I understand. You know, you you paid for the digitization. You went through the process. You need to use that image to make the film thing that you're trying trying to create. You know, I get that. And and the vast majority of producers are ethical and would only use it. You know, in in in, uh, uh, in ethical ways. Um, that being said. Uh, you know, there is a, uh, like recently there was a big controversy because they used, uh, 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 Christopher Reeve in the, in the flash movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and I don't know to what degree the producers dealt with his state or got in terms of getting permission. I don't know if they felt they needed to because Warner Brothers and DC own that movie. You know, they made the right. movie, they made the character, it's theirs, it's on film, you know, um, so, it, it, but we get into an area of humanity, of just like, you know, as a human, is that cool? You know? Right, <laughs> um, right. And, and that, those are the things we have to make. Those are the decisions we have to make now. I mean, if, if, if producers, you know, if the, if, the, if the studios were willing to say, hey, you know, we don't know how AI is going to be used in the future. We'd love for it to be a tool, but we don't want to replace human actors. Um, because that's the connection. The people make connections with human actors, you know. Um, if they said that, and they said, how about we, the AMPTB and, and SAG and the writers, get together and, like, form a commission on figuring out what are ethical uses of AI in the business? You know, let's let's try that. But there has been no overtures about that. And part of it is that the AMPTP historically prides itself on being really tough negotiators. Yeah. Uh, they, they pride themselves on being you know, uh, 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 on basically hard asses, yeah, hard asses and, and, uh, particularly heartless. The idea being that we're dealing with artists and we want to give them the middle fingers. Um, and that's been their stance for years, uh, you know, part of purpose. The idea is to scare artists and writers into, into saying, well, they're just tough, you know, they're such hard asses. Um, but interestingly this time around, I think because of social media, it's really backfired. You know, in, in 2007, a lot of that stuff was going on behind closed doors and you heard rumors about it in the industry, but it didn't get all over uh, social media. But now those kind of things get all over social media very quickly. Yes, and, yes uh, they do. And, and it does reduce the studio's bargaining position. And and now, actually, right now, we're in the midst of a, a labor movement that appears much bigger than just entertainment and media. It's all over. You know, it's, be, you know, because uh, uh, corporations have funneled so much money toward the top that 
you know, considering that that uh, you know people at the bottom are dealing with inflation and and you know and and getting over a pandemic, you know, a a, a world altering pandemic. Uh, you know, we're in a different place. It's like a lot, and and we're also dealing with you know what was it? It's been it, it's been forty years of of unions being decimated post Reagan. Yes. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That's, that's, that was the, well, yeah, I think the, the current president has helped you, helped all labor out by being a man yeah. union. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope he applies it to my industry. Before, before we go to break, let me ask you, where would you like to see this? How would you like to see this strike in? Um, I, well, the, the AMPTP just has to come back to the table. The, the, the strike is entirely the result of them refusing to negotiate. They're just done. They just said, no, we won't negotiate with the writers. We're done. Uh, uh, you know, so, so they have That's to because back. no one can write the script for them anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, they, there was an article in, in one of the, the trade papers about that, that quoted a, a couple of studio execs saying that their hope was to break the union and, and make people lose their homes. Uh, and that was, you know, probably a foolish quote. Uh, <laughs> that was probably just the right thing to say, if you don't want to galvanize uh, a huge amount of union resistance against you. Um, uh, but, you know, but again, that would be disastrous for the industry. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they take these hard ass approaches um, and part of it's theater, you know, um, but yes. uh, have to drop that. Um, they have to understand that they are, that, that they are cooperating with us. And, and I do think, you know, all of us, all of us who made, you know, have been lucky enough to hit the lottery in this business do have to understand that the people at the bottom are not getting the money. And we all, you know, when we're making our salary demands and all that, we have to understand that money has to come from somewhere, you know? And, and so, you know, maybe, you know, Barry Diller floated the idea of everybody of all the top CEOs and A-list talent taking 25% pay cuts. And it's like, well, it's something to think about, you know? Um, of course, the the corporate uh, CEOs won't do it. But, you know, I, 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 you know, I like out-of-the-box ideas and, uh, you know, we certainly have to, 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 you know, understand that, that, you know, this is all, you know, we are all in this together. Yeah, we, yes, we are. Sam, with that thought, we'll take a short break and we'll be together when we come back. Stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kierman. With me is John Cryer. And John, I'm going to take a a step back for a second and ask you, how did you get involved in in acting? How did you grow up? What brought you to the world of acting? Well, that's the first time I saw you was in Pretty in Pink. A uh, long time uh, galaxy, far, far away. I, I actually grew up uh, backstage. My my parents were both performers. Um, my dad mostly was doing stage acting. My mother ended up becoming more uh, famous for her playwriting uh, and uh, than than her performing. Um, but uh, but I grew up in the in the world of New York theater. Uh, I got I mean I mean honestly I've been in the business in one way or another for fifty four years. Uh, I. <laughs> I did my first gig was a, in a commercial. My mother got a commercial uh, for a multivitamin uh, when I was four years old, and they needed some somebody to play her kid in the commercial. And I, well, I'm right there. Uh, <laughs> hey, I got a so kid. <laughs> I did that, but but it's interesting because in the in, in social media, the, the concept of nepotism has come up uh, recently, and it does make me realize how much of uh, it, it did make me realize how much of being in the culture of theater and having parents who worked with people in the theater did help me get a foothold there. Um, yeah. uh, you know, is as, that a bad as, thing? 
It's it, well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, there's the word the word nepotism uh, is has a negative connotation because it is considered it's like the classic stereotypical example is the big CEO of the company gives his undeserving son the job of vice president. You know, <laughs> there, there's the monarch undeserving. If you deserve yeah. it and you get that, that to me is different. Then, it, then it's a family business, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and but but if you go back, you know, historically, family businesses were family businesses. You you trained your kid in the, you know, you make shoes. You trained your kid to make shoes, and your kid makes shoes too, you know. And it wasn't nepotism to give your kid a job, you know, make, making shoes. It was this is how our family makes a living. That's how you, you got know? your last name, Billy Shoemaker. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but but when you're in a in a business like show business where uh, you know it's thought of as a meritocracy and uh, uh, and you know and there's people who are you know and, and it's not considered a fair industry. It's not an industry that where there's a a stepping a step ladder that makes any logical sense. You know, it, it's it's a free for all in many respects. Um, people, you know, I, I do realize, and I was just talking with a friend of mine who was an actor who didn't come into the business with any of those familiar connections, and all of the things he had to do to uh, to make a living for the first years while he was trying to break in were wildly different than what I than than my experience. So, um, so yeah, I benefited from kind of a soft nepotism, but I can understand why people would uh, bristle at the idea because you know I didn't have the stereotypical, you know, you know, just getting a job that that you don't deserve. Um, but I did, uh, uh, you know, but but I did certainly receive a lot of, uh, of sort of environmental help from being around my parents. Well, that's uh, we could talk about politicians that way too. But that's John F. Kennedy Jr. That's yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if you're Robert Kennedy Jr. Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, if you're around it all the time, you you know you're living and you're soaked in it. You 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 get how it works. You know, yeah. um, uh, uh, I mean, for me, I remember I my parents were never in a position to give me a job, but uh, I would go into auditions and people would say, "Oh, hey." Say hello to your dad, you know, because yeah. I knew my dad, you know, and that um, that gave me the, the advantage of a. I was a little more recognizable to them, and b. Uh, uh, I that would put me at ease because I didn't have to deal with the same kind of nerves that other people who you know that a guy who never met any of these people before and deal with. So you know, I did benefit from that to some uh, uh, to some degree, and I'm uh, uh, you know, I I, I have. I have been incredibly lucky in this industry. I, you know, uh, I started when uh, Matthew Broderick was sort of blazing an amazing trail across Broadway and somebody had to be his understudy. And that was me. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was that was one of my first big breaks was that that I resembled him uh, very closely. Uh, <laughs> uh, and like uh, theater. Yeah. Yeah. Live theater was uh, that that's how I broke in. And I, I, I love it. Love live theater. I still think yeah. it's, I to me it's a, and it, all right. So full confession here. My mother was a, a, a was a theater. She was in theater. Uh, oh, and uh, she did a morning show. She was Ned Beatty was and her came up together in the Catholic Theater Guild in Louisville, Kentucky. And, oh my God! Yeah, and he went to L.A. and she stayed there and did theater. And I I loved her in the night of Iguana, but that's another story. But. You know, uh-huh. I loved being backstage. I loved all of that. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't go into any of that. My three kids live out in LA. All of them are in your business. And oh, my- <laughs> that's like how well nepotism works in journalism. They didn't join journalism. <laughs> they thought it'd be easier to start on their own. I'm going to like in the film industry with. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. But- wow. Oh, so, so, oh, so this is, uh, this is, uh, meat and potatoes issue for you guys yeah it's, 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 wow. it, I, I i get it and um but i i still do love i still love theater it's one of my you know and um full confession as well when you were doing two and a half men and i'm sure you've heard this before but it reminded me because i did a, a i was in a production of this particular play but it reminded me of neil simon's the odd couple you know mm-hmm. and, and and so you know you had the felix role and charlie sheen had the oscar madison role and yes, it, so, it, 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 it's absolutely a similar dynamic. I mean, the second, the second 
people knew we were doing the show together, they were they, they were like, oh, I, it's odd couple, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and um, there's still there's still one line in that. And I, I when I got to interview him because I asked him, did he come up with the name Felix Unger and then come up with this joke, or did he come up with a joke and fashion the name Felix Unger from? It's it's the line where uh, Oscar says, you know, you're always leaving little notes on my pillow. We're all out of cornflakes, F you. It took me three hours to figure out that F you was Felix Unger. Because I, <laughs> I just wanted to know as a writer, how did you craft that joke? <laughs> <laughs> how did he craft that joke? He came up with uh, he came up with the name Felix Unger, and then it it happened to be, it just yeah it worked. was a happy accident. Wow, yeah, a happy accident. So that but at least that's how it was explained to me. But I, I get I, I get what you're saying, and and what what I wonder is when you got your first when you know like your big your big break was right. I mean, you got the break with with being his understudy, but I mean, you came into national audiences with Pretty in Pink. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I had done a couple of films before that, um, but none of them had really hit with audiences. And yeah, Pretty in Pink was was the the big breakthrough. How did and... change? How did it change your life? Um, well, it just uh, it, it gave me an inflated sense of self. <laughs> <laughs> I went to like two, and all of a sudden, I thought I was the biggest shit in the world. <laughs> That's never <laughs> happened to anybody. No, no, no. Uh, um, but it. Uh, uh, but it was interesting because it immediately, m m reflexively, I wanted to do something different. I was like, okay, I'm known as this type of character. Um, I want to do completely other things. Um, it was, I, I don't know what, and, and it's a thing that has actually kind of served me well in my career because I've sort of bounced all over the place. Uh, and I've been incredibly lucky in terms of getting opportunities to bounce all over the, the, the place. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was like playing just this, this, uh, uh, rock and roll dork, uh, was, uh, it was fun. I can do so many of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I kind of studiously avoided playing that kind of character after that. Uh, and to some degree, I, uh, you know, it was such a great fit on me that I, that was probably a mistake. I probably should have done a few more of those. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, in the end I, I have, uh, uh, I have no regrets. I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, that I've gotten to do, you know, that I've gotten to play that and, you know, Alan and Lex Luthor, you know, was like, okay, that's, 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 that's quite a spectrum. Dive into. Yeah. 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 How'd you like Alan? How'd you like playing that character? I loved playing that character because he was just, he was every flaw I could, I, I, I have just magnified uh <laughs> and and that was great actually because the writers really got that you yeah. know he was kind of spineless he was kind of weaselly he was kind of cheap uh you know he but but he but he tried to present himself as this uh, character of moral rectitude only because charlie sheen was his brother you know right. <laughs> um, uh and and he was trying to be a good dad but he was you know failing miserably uh and uh you know and and he I, 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 it was really, uh, uh, the only, the only big, uh, trait that took me by surprise with Alan was when, uh, the, they, the thing that his, like his, uh, his sexual kink was for pregnant women. That one, that one took me by surprise. I was like, wow, what is going on in the writer's room if you're coming up with this stuff? Um, you had to come from somewhere. You know, yeah. somebody actually had that. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, I've got it. <laughs> Um, it was very funny. We, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with it, but, uh, uh, but no, I, I loved playing Alan. I, you know, it was very, it was also very strange once Charlie left the show because they had to sort of reinvent who Alan was if he's kind of the center of the show now, you know? Uh, and, and so that was as an actor, a huge, uh, challenge for me, um, to sort of have him still be the same guy, but go on this journey um was uh was was hard um but you know but again an incredibly valuable experience and you never get to another thing that i feel i incredibly lucky for was you have 12 years of this incredible rapport with audiences right you know the the writers did a wonderful job of giving that making that guy somebody that everybody knew 
And uh, and so I go all over the world and people still remember Alan. I mean, I, 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 I went on a trip to India uh, and just everywhere in the airport, Alan, Alan, Alan. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, and it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to me. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, that it resonated with, you know, people of so many cultures was, was, uh, just remarkable. Any favorite episode come to mind or? Huh? I had, I had many, uh, you know, I mean, there was, uh, uh, you know, there was a, there was an episode where, uh, where Alan thought he, that he might be gay. So he dates a guy. You know, um, there was that uh, one. Uh, yeah, there was another one during the Ashton era that was uh, where, and this is really uh, uh, this, every now and then we just went straight into sex bars, uh, you know, full full throttle. We, we we did one where I had finally convinced my girlfriend to do a threesome, but she said, "Okay, then I want to do." Then my only condition is that. First, we got to do the threesome I want, which is two guys and me. The Devil's Tower. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Devil's Tower. The Devil's Tower, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and of course, the the one the guy she wanted me to be with was Ashton's character. And so, uh, <laughs> so that that it is it, that if if you get a chance to watch that episode, uh, it's called uh, uh, Two Bad Score Balls and One Mitt. Uh, <laughs> Well, um, I had a date like that once. I'm telling you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> well, much has been made and said, and if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But about the rapport on the set with with Charlie Sheen, was it difficult, or was it was it you know did, did they make did the press make too much of? Um, well, he's he's a, a, a fascinating guy because when we first started the show, he was uh, he was in recovery uh, and. and I don't know if you've ever met him or talked to him. He's just incredibly yes. charming, and yeah, he's lovely. He's a lovely guy. You talk to him, he's uh, you know he's he's asking about your family. He's asking you know he's 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 uh, you know uh, 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 in, in he so belies the the image the stereotype of this Lothario you know dick. He's he's not that. Uh, we had about four or five years of that guy. Uh, the first few years of of the show. Then things started to change. He, 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 his recovery was not important to him anymore. He, he you know, uh, fell off the wagon. He, he got, he, he, he remarried, had kids, but that was a very troubled relationship. Um, and he still was a good guy to work with. He's still a very responsible uh, uh, actor in terms of uh, being a scene partner, but, but the, the friendship kind of goes away. And, so when when the when he had sort of the rupture and uh, you know and he and he got fired from the show and he had that whole big personality change that whole tiger blood persona I remember that <laughs> yes that, that he adopted um, that was really disconcerting for a lot of us because we were friends of this and we knew him as a completely different person uh, and that this tiger blood persona that is sort of an online thing that he still has to some degree. Um, when that sort of took over who he was for years, uh, it became impossible to, you know, keep that relationship going, you know, uh, so I have not, so I've not seen him in years. Um, I wish him the best. I've, I've heard actually that he's doing, he's doing great now. Um, he and Chuck Lorre, who have had that, that spectacular famous fight, famous yeah. Feud, yeah, um, they are on good terms again. And so much so that the, that the show that Chuck is shooting for HBO has Charlie doing several cameos in um, uh, Charlie and Angus? I'm sorry. Which show? It is not on the air yet. It's called How to Be a Bookie. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it, you mean it, after it, he dropped a piano on him, he's fine with him now. Yeah, apparently, yeah. You know, and I, I on some level, I'm really glad. You know, this, if people can repair relationships. That's a great thing. You know, I, I'm not. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 I and and. I have no ill will toward the guy. I, I, you know, people have asked if I would work with him again and probably not on a, on a television show that I expected to run for any length of time. Um, because how do you trust somebody who's blown it all up in the past? You know, right. I don't know. How, I don't know how you, you know, you don't get on board that boat and say, Hey, everything's going to go great. I'm going to put all this work into creating this thing. That's going to be ongoing, except this guy may just blow it at any moment, you know, 
Right. So, but, and then, of course, there's the other thought. Have you ever gotten on a show where you absolutely were sure it would last a long time? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, we're deluding ourselves if we ever think that these things are going to last. I thought you know. it was going to be great. What, we got three episodes? What? <laughs> yeah, that, that is generally how it goes, you know. And and so, you know, I, 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 again, this is the way the business is. It's the way it's been forever. Um, you know, one of the things that's that's an, an interesting part of the the actor strike is a lot of people are getting very thrown off that the streamers are taking off show that that they're just axing material and it's just going away, um, and that's very scary. But I realized that the networks used to do that all the time. Yeah, you know, remember, like I would do a show that would be on for a season and then get canceled, and that show is you gone. Never see it. <laughs> never yeah, see you it can't again. find it anywhere. Um, so so that's so while it's. I think the streaming era promised the promise of it was that it that you had the entire catalog and you had the entire back catalog of these places and you could see it at any time at your fingertips, you know. And people are starting to go, oh wait, I guess it's not going to work like that, you know. Because um, they can't make money that way. Yeah, uh, apparently not. Um, you created uh, you demand know. by keeping it scarce, and then once uh, there's enough demand, you make it available for a limited amount of time, and then take it mm -hmm. off. Yeah, take it Yes, yeah. take it um, and the well, thing that's, is, yeah, actors, have, actors have always had, you know, the actors have at least since the 60s participated in that to some degree because we get residuals, you know, but streaming residuals are so much less than broadcast residuals that, you know, we're cut out of the future. Um, nice. So before we go to our next break, I'll leave you with this question. It's the one I ask everybody. If you, well, every, everybody in your business, if okay. you could remake any movie that you want, mm -hmm and star mm -hmm. in it, what would it be? Oh my God, wow. Um, well, my favorite movie of all time is Goodfellas. Um, uh, but uh, how hilarious would it, would me being the Joe Pesci part in oh that movie be? <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would be great. Uh, oh, Goodfellas. I'm a clown? I amuse you? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 I, I, you said it, you said it. <laughs> I don't know, Henry, you might fold under questioning. That, you, know. <laughs> you know, I am um, the real guy uh, uh, from Goodfellas. Uh, oh, Henry Hill? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That must have been fascinating. Yeah, he was nuts, but that's another story. <laughs> yes. Well, what what I loved about the movie is it, it, it portrays organized crime in, in, as a bunch of, some of them are idiots, some of them are, you know, just these fucking sociopaths. Some of them, you know, and, it, and I was like, that's like the Godfather is makes it opera, you know, whereas Goodfellas to me was a much more realistic. Yes. Right. It's like some of them are just, hey, don't let's not aggrandize a lot of these I've, I've, uh, I've covered uh, organized crime. It's not that organized. And I've covered yeah. and that's pretty balls on acting. You know where that movie got me, though, as a movie girl? Um, the opening scene. They're driving <laughs> along at night. They hear the bump. Boom, boom. And what, what? I don't know. What? What? And. And then they pull, I, I go, what, are they going to get, get, you know, what is it, a UFO? What the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. They pull over, they open up the truck, and then, you know, freeze frame to, to Henry Hill going, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And I yeah. go, all right, I'm in. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you got me? Where, where are you taking me on this ride? That's, yeah. <laughs> but, it holds up so great. I, I still, I, I truly believe it's the best movie ever made. Uh, and that, I, you know, in that genre, all together, all together, all together, best movie ever made. All right, final question before we go to <laughs> break. So, um, musically, Stones mm -hmm. or Beatles, Stones or Beatles, uh, uh, Beatles. Uh, uh, I, you know, we grew up. I mean, Beatles, they were always on in my house. Stones were always kind of, you know, the the sloppy, dark, uh, you know, uh, dark side of that. Uh, I mean, I, I have enormous uh, respect, obviously, for the Stones, um, uh, you know, but uh, but no, I was always a Beatles person. I always thought of the Stones as a good pub band. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I've been in bands off and on through the years, and I find two things to be true. If you play the Stones and you don't play it balls on accurate, people will forgive you. They you go, oh, the Stones, I like the way they're doing that. Mm -hmm. You don't play, and the Beatles are deceptively simple. They're a lot harder mm -hmm. to play than the Stones. Mm -hmm. you screw up a Beatles song, 
they will kill your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that blasphemy. <laughs> so, I, and I was always a Beatles fan. So, uh, favorite Beatle? Favorite Beatle? Gosh, uh, you know, it's the, I don't want to. No, I, I, I love them all equally. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's the right answer. <laughs> the southern parts. The northern in your life. Yeah, you go through times in your life where you take you take different ones at different times of your life. You know, it's like uh, Ringo. I like the goofy one. You know, yeah. but again, deceptively goofy because amazing, some amazing drum stuff that he was doing there. You know, uh, and, and then great uh, drummer. Underrated. Yeah, absolutely underrated. Uh, uh, and then you have your your philosophical periods where you go super George Harrison. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have your, your rebel period where you're John Lennon and then you have your, I'm going to try to be, uh, you know, an incredibly gifted professional period. And that's when you're Paul McCartney, you know? <laughs> um, so you, it, it's, uh, he is, they are all of us, Ryan. Yeah. They're all of us. Yeah. God bless you. That's, I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> We're going to take a short break and we'll come back with all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Cameron. With this is uh, John Carrier. John, you know, I do this podcast. We do a weekly thing where we do a, a news wrap-up, Just Ask mm. for Us, so we talk about the news of the week. And then one of the things I like to do, my, my interests outside of politics, you know, because I get stuck in that, White House all the time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, world of entertainment, music, comedy, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, it really is fun when I have someone who's not in politics. Happy to be here. Happy to be. Even though we're we are talking a little bit about strikes and politics, uh, mm-hmm. if you had, I, I guess the question I've always wanted to ask uh, you in particular: Is there any particular role that you like that you didn't get that you wanted that you thought you would have been good for? that you didn't get or one that you would like? It's kind of akin to what I asked earlier, but Mm. what would you like to have people see you do that you haven't done? Oh, that I haven't done. Gosh. Um, Oh, I don't know. That's a, that's a brutal question. Uh, uh, You know, I I actually. Politicians think that I would take it another way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh, the thing is, no, usually I, I, when you audition for something and you don't get it, um, when it, the only time that hurts is when you see somebody who didn't do a great job of it, and you go, "Oh, I would have been better than that," you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but when you do when you audition for something that you love and you don't get it, and then you see, see somebody knock it out of the park, it's almost it's like the the, the universe has order, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because you just go, you know, like uh, uh, I auditioned for Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. Um, Steve Buscemi ended up with the part. And oh, Steve yeah. Buscemi is amazing in the part. And so I, there's this part of me that was like, oh, I would have loved to have been in that movie. Um, but, but that movie wouldn't have been that movie if I was in it. Um, because Steve Buscemi is amazing in that part. You know? uh, so, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, uh, I, I feel like you, you pretty much get what what uh, what you should. You know, there 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 hasn't uh, I, I haven't had a part where I was like, oh, that should have been. Uh, <laughs> Is there someone you'd like to work with that you haven't? I have worked with Ben Tarantino. I'd love to work with him. I would love to work with Martin Scorsese. I would love to work with uh, Greta Gerwig, who I think is amazing. I would love to work with. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's uh, there's so many amazing people out there. Um, 
you know, uh, 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 it, it's, you know, that, that one of the, the, the thing about the, you know, the explosion of media in the streaming era, uh, I'd love to work with Alex Garden, who made, made Ex, Ex Machina, that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the streaming era did put out a, a, a glut, a, a wonderful, fabulous glut of material <laughs> that has lifted up a lot of people who you wouldn't have normally seen, you know, that's and that's, and that is, you know, what, one of the absolute gifts of this particular period. You know, we, we actually have made progress in diversity, um, which is, which is great. Uh, uh, and one thing's like, another thing, you know, I'm, I've been really tough on a lot of the, the studios lately because it's strike, but it, as a producer, I've been going into rooms and every time they've been saying, Hey, we need to, we need to diverse viewpoints here. Right. You know, every time I go in and I'm, and I think that's fantastic. You know, uh, that is a real corporate change. They, they mean it when they say it. <laughs> Just make it I'm part of the story, make it organic. That's yes, exactly. That, you know, that to me, if it's forced, it doesn't work. Yeah. They said, that, they're, that's they're saying, yeah, no, I agree. They say, find us different stories. And it's like, okay, great. As a producer, that's, that's, that's the gig, you know? And I, I I appreciate that they mean it this time, um, yeah, because we have talked the talk in the entertainment industry for decades, but we have not walked the walk. <laughs> Welcome to my business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, whenever I have someone on uh, from your business, and and I, they always I always let them if they want to ask me a question about the White House or covering politics. If you got one, I'm all yours. If you don't, oh, gosh. I mean, you know, the thing is, we're dealing with this with this weird period where, you know, uh, uh, politics has been, you know, we, we had the we had the post-war period after World War Two that was really kind of an anomaly in terms of the media, in terms of reporting, in terms of government. Uh, you know, we we had a, sort of a honeymoon in terms of American politics, in terms of the ugliness of American politics. Because before that, if you look historically, American politics is nutty. Is absolutely nutty. So, so Trump seems a lot less of a of an anomaly when you look at the totality of American historical politics. You know, that's, that's true. Um, so, uh, but I do, but I do feel like this has been given the tools at at a modern government's disposal. He is a lot scarier than a lot of figures that we've had in in American politics, and yeah. and, and thus. The people around him who you have to interact with on a daily basis and uh, you know i i always wonder do they understand that this really means stuff to people out 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 of the bubble you know i mean i'm sure they reach out and want to be friends to you you know you're a, you're a reporter you know? yeah, yeah well uh during the trump era not so much they tried to take away the press pass three times yes i remember that yes you had to go to court and sue the bastard and beat it yes you won. Uh, you won. Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I keep that as a legacy. That particular press pass will be a, a memento of mine for many years. You know, mm. four years he was there. We knew each other well. We got into arguments. He never called me by my name. He always mm. called me Playboy. Playboy, come here, Playboy. Because I was writing for Playboy magazine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he go, that guy. I told him not to let him in here. Playboy. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but... Some of his people got it and didn't care. Some mm-hmm. of his people didn't get it and didn't care. Mm-hmm. Some of his people didn't get it and did care. And mm-hmm. the, the the biggest problem I find in politics is when people put themselves and their own um, their own needs ahead of those of the country. That's the one place you're supposed to have a little bit of, of ide- ideology. You're supposed to be uh, yeah. some of that and watching them sink the presidency into a, a quagmire that uh, has been hard to emerge from is uh, particularly frightening to me because there are mm-hmm. people who he has duped and conned millions of people who still believe you know they, yeah. they drink the Kool-Aid and they will until the day they die and it doesn't matter what the facts are and see that's our problem we're mm-hmm. so enamored my, my business Things that we have to tell you, John Cryer, the truth. And mm-hmm. that's not what we should be doing, John, because th- there are, what, 4,000 religions on this planet? Whose truth, mm-hmm. are you, whose truth am I going to tell you? 
Mm-hmm. But what I should be giving you is vetted facts. Mm-hmm. And so what they did successfully, remember alternative facts. Yes. That's why it that's why that particular administration to me was very poisonous, is that mm-hmm. it diluted and changed the idea of what a fact is. And we mm-hmm. have effectively uh, uh, remedied that because the same people that run your industry run mine and they don't give a shit about anything about but money. So yeah. it's, it's making money and gets its clickbait and gets people fighting. You know, that's what they're speaking is the hatred and the conflict and not yeah. the facts. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, is that, a, that, does that answer it? <laughs> yes, it does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try on occasion. It's a tough business, I'm telling you. <laughs> but, you know, what, the last question I ask you is where do you, where would you like to see the entertainment? industry in five or 10 years, what would you like to see changed? What would I like to see changed? Well, uh, I, the, the biggest change is that the streamers have to uh, uh, get into transparency. They have to let people know how much uh, their their stuff actually gets out there. We have to have ratings like the Nielsen ratings. I mean, back in the day on broadcast TV, you know, the, the Nielsen's were controversial because they were just a, you know, they had 2,000 set top boxes out there. There wasn't that many. It was, you know, they had to extrapolate. Um, but now the, the the streamers know exactly how many people are watching their shows. Um, and, you know, I, I think on some level, they're not letting people know out of shame because some of them have <laughs> lower numbers than, they, than they'd like to admit. Um, but they're also doing higher numbers than they want to admit in many areas. So, uh, so I think that's the biggest change. The biggest change is we've got to find uh, uh, the, the streamers have to tell us. Uh, if, if I said that, the, that there was the most important thing that SAG and the WGA have to fight for is for transparency, that's my priority. I, I I hear you. I, that would be great. And from my end, that would be nice too, because yeah. we don't know in our business anymore from streaming, and that's where this business is headed. Um, mm-hmm. I predict the end of, you know, like cable news and, and broadcast news, it's all going to be streaming. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and transparency would be really nice so we could mm-hmm. find out exactly who's watching what. And I suspect it would up in my industry if it were as transparent as it should be. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So listen, John, thanks. I, I'd love to have you back sometime. It's been a very enjoyable, great conversation. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I, I'd be happy to. All right. And the name of, oh, and uh, well, I know you can't push. I cannot promote the show that I'm going to be on for the major network. Uh, <laughs> it was I always ask everybody to promote it. So <laughs> this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kieran. The name of the book is Free the Press. So uh, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.